Hi. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. Uh, it's a show about, what is it about, Colin? Pop culture, advertising, marketing. Film, technology, and chaos. brand activations. <laughs> because in the end, everything is an ad. Um, I'm Katherine Lundstrom, not your usual host. I'm Adweek's sustainability editor, and I'm here with Colin Daniels. Hello, I am Colin Daniels. I'm one of the digital editors at Adweek. Yeah, and we are here doing a special South by Southwest edition of Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. Um, the hosts aren't here to keep us, you know. The kids are driving the bus. <laughs> the kids are the driving, kids the, are bus driving the bus. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess come along for the ride. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Taking Texas Tech. <laughs> so, uh, Colin, um, I, well, I live in Austin. Uh, I've been here about eight and a half years. Um, Colin has also lived in Austin. Yeah, it's um, been, I've left here 2014 yeah. from Southwestern. So, yeah. Yeah. Was a volunteer back in 2012. Yeah, tell us about South by Southwest. Oh, my gosh. You guys, back then, not to, like, say it was crazy, because they would come to recruit us, like, in September, sign up, and I'd be like, yes. I get to see everybody, and they're like, JK, you got to volunteer 17-plus hours till you get a ticket. <laughs> um, but, no, it was so fun, and I feel like, for me, as, like, a college student here, like, it was the great experience to get that exposure and meet a lot of the brands and companies and artists and stuff that I dreamed about working with the media. So, like, I always thank South By for, like, being that entry point into yeah, the industry for totally. me. totally. Such a good place to network and stuff. Um, so how has it changed between your first South by and this year? I mean, I feel like the first one, I don't know, like maybe because I was like 19, I feel like it was so huge and just like, we had like big, big people coming and stuff and it was just like overwhelming. And I feel like as I got into, like got into it more and kind of saw how it was orchestrated and stuff, I wasn't as scared, but the first one was so intimidating. I was like, HBO and Showtime are here, like, rawr, they're scary. Um, but I feel like now it's a lot more relaxed. Everybody's chill. People just want to, like, hang out, network, open bar. Yeah, for sure. So this is the first... Well, so I guess we, South By was back in person last year after two years off. Um, in 2020, I was here, and we were supposed to have a whole crew come down from New York for Adweek to cover <laughs> um, the festival. It was supposed to be this... It was supposed to be so exciting, and of course, um, it was canceled about a week before. It was, I know, I remember it being Friday the thirteenth, and being just like so, <laughs> so dark, and um, <laughs> everything was canceled. Nobody came, um, and then uh, it was a huge hit for the city. I mean, South by generates in twenty nineteen. It generated like three hundred and fifty six million for the city. Um, and then in, in 2021, uh, pandemic was still kind of raging. It um, went all virtual. And then last year, it was back in person for the first time. But it was still kind of like people were deciding right beforehand whether or not to come. And um, it definitely didn't feel quite the same. Um, I think it generated $280 million for the city. So um, better you know than nothing of course um but it was it was definitely different this year feels like it's back yeah i feel like it's definitely i feel like there's like part i feel like there's so many more parties there's i feel like more people here even though it's been like forever since i've been here but i feel like there's like more people here everybody's out like we're not 
like going out or we're not going in early I feel like there's so many more activations like the cool Transformers one yeah tell us about the activations you've been okay, to okay let's see the Transformers one I went to that was really cool I was like is that Optimus Prime in the middle of the street <laughs> uh, yeah I rode past that on my bike and was like I didn't see it at first and was like oh my god yeah, it, was, it was huge I was like what is this and so there was that one um, the Lush one was really cool yeah, you got um, covered in glitter. Yeah, so like you walked in and they like sprayed you with uh, <laughs> with glitter. They partnered with Glitterbox, so that was really cool. Um, Australia House was awesome. I'm a little biased. <laughs> uh, that yeah. one was amazing. We have yeah. coffee. Come by, come mm-hmm. by and see us. Um, what else? Yeah. yeah, I saw the Showtime activation, which was pretty big. That's in like Fair Market, which is like the place where they had the where HBO did the big Game of Thrones one, Bleed for the Throne, back in the day, and like. 2018 I want to say um, so Showtime took over that same space it's like a big warehouse space and um, like a bunch of the cast were at the opening party which was exciting um, you got to eat some meat that they promised you was not human meat I don't know if you've seen the show but um, there's like some cannibalism <laughs> stuff that goes on the show so they were serving meat <laughs> with like all this like decor around it that looked like suspiciously like human bones so that was a little creepy um but there was like there was like axe throwing and all this it was it was pretty cool it was very it was very immersive like that was like one of the big activations that felt like you know this is serious experiential marketing come on Zena warrior princess (laughs) uh so yeah that one and then roku city was like also super cool um it was just like this like really like magical mashup of all things purple and you kind of got to walk into the city. Um, Did they give like, you a free TV? That's what I want to know. They gave out free Roku's but somehow I missed that. I went out, out the wrong way, I think. But but it was like cool. There was like there were all these actors that were like like really excitedly like welcoming everybody in and I was just like I forgot to like video the beginning because I was like so overwhelmed and excited by all the people that were <laughs> putting like like jewels on my face and like yeah it was very cool um and you got to like there were like different parts of it like you were walking through the actual Roku city like there was a part that was like France and then um yeah I don't know and then you got to sit on a big purple sofa and eat popcorn we love to see and the thing that I really like about the different activations is because coming into it, like, the fear of the recession and stuff ahead, I feel like I was worried that a lot of brands and stuff were going to bow out early and kind of scale back. But it was nice yeah. to see that they all still were fully invested in reaching the audiences here and really putting their money into really seeing the value and why being here is important. So I was really glad to see that. Yeah, I would definitely say that it seemed like the brand activations were mostly streamers, um, which I, I know, like, the industries that have been harder hit are, like, you know, tech and there's not, so, you know, like, I didn't, I had, we're kind of talking to some folks beforehand about, like, what we should expect. And some folks are saying, you know, like, it might be a little uncomfortable to see some of these companies that just <laughs> saw big, la- like, massive rounds of layoffs then coming to South By and, like, being really splashy, putting in a bunch of money. Um, so I do feel like there was, like, a little bit of hesitation from some of those companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, it's... You plan for something like South by so far in advance, and you can't like you're already kind of invested. I was speaking with um, somebody at Slack about their activation because they have a pretty big footprint on Third and Congress downtown, and um, 
you know, he was kind of like, this was something that we've been, we had in the works for a long time. And they're a super sponsor of South by. Um, so it's like they had some layoffs um, and their parent company, Salesforce had some layoffs in, in January, but it's just like, you know, you can't plan invested. for everything. Yeah. Right. It's like too late. Right. Um, Cool. So what kind of panels have you, I mean, well, I saw your panel, of course, at the yes. Australia House, and you did, ama- I mean, you're like the most charming moderator ever. Stop. Goals. Uh, go on, go on. Um, no, it was really cool. Um, yeah, our panel was on storytelling, creativity, and tourism marketing, which was really cool. Um, I haven't been able to see a lot of them yet. Um, hopefully I do today now that I'm not moderating or doing anything. So there's a lot of cool ones that are coming up today and the rest of the week that I have my eyes on and I'm always just curious to just see how like people are like coming up with like different marketing initiatives and intuitive stuff like how the one I was talking to earlier was like yeah we're really pushing our money into Twitch and streaming and all that stuff and I don't know much about that and I think just seeing how people are reaching new audience and especially like younger ones in different spaces is really cool and just seeing like their concepts for it's fascinating so I'm going to be going to all those yeah to see what's going to be going on very cool yeah, I've kind of, I wanted to do a lot of stuff on the climate change track, which is pretty big this year. Um, and I've hit a few things. I went to go see, um, I got to see Dr. Catherine Hayhoe speak at the Dell Technologies thing. And that was very cool because I'm kind of Come on, kind of fan, a fan girl. Come on, fan girl. <laughs> I'm like the dork here. It's like the scientist was so cool. Um, <laughs> but that was really awesome. Um, and then, yeah, and then Dell hosted this dinner and I got to see some like very cool climate creators speak. So that was also cool. Um, there's quite a bit of like sustainability focused stuff uh, that I feel like. I, I don't know if it's like I don't I don't I'm not sure if it if in the end we'll feel like that was like the main like theme. I feel like at the end of every South by you look back and you're like, okay, there were some strong themes that like kind of carried you through. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure whether that'll be one that it obviously feels like one for me because that's what I'm focused on. But um, I'm not sure if overall that's necessarily what we're gonna think about. When I was talking with folks about these big um, activations, I I asked, you know, like, what is your sustainability plan, um, and kind of like what what's going to happen to all this stuff that looks really cool in the moment, but like, you know, how is it mm-hmm. made? Where <laughs> what materials did it come from? Like, what's the stuff gonna what's gonna happen afterwards? Um, and not very many of them had <laughs> a, like a robust answer for me. Um, Slack is kind of working on repurposing a lot of that stuff. They did, like, create a lot of the, like, modular stuff that they put together um, that can be reused later on, and that is something that I think a lot of experiential marketers are are thinking about. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, it's not really on par with... Um, I wouldn't say that South by Southwest is really on par with, like, something like Outside Lands in San Francisco, where, like, 96% of the trash is diverted from landfill, and, um, you know, there there are... There are ways to really reduce the footprint of a big event like this, and I, I don't know that South by is quite there. I mean, we are in Texas, so. <laughs> Listen, that's a whole nother. <laughs> yeah. So what what have you been your like key takeaways so far? I feel like what's been really cool for me is just seeing how a lot of brands and stuff are a big thing for because I've been on the like tourism marketing stuff. Everybody's like been on the, the quote unquote the big reconnect and really been pushing like 
connecting and not just reaching people in the digital space, but like really getting people to, to experience things like whether it's travel or staycations. Like I went by the um, visit um, Irving booth and we were talking about like, she's like, Oh, it's grown. Like they have now a cool river walk and stuff. So whether it's like you're exploring outside, like the the state or going elsewhere, I feel like people are now just like, Hey, like it's now time. The moment's now like use that time to get outside, connect with yourself, connect with others. Like don't, we've been like in the pandemic for God, three years. So everybody's like, okay, we got to like push ourselves out and get out there. So I feel like that's been the major theme I've seen in the marketing realm, just like pushing out, getting out, getting connected. I got my passport renewed. Listen, that counts. Where you going? <laughs> Where you going? <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully France later this year. Oh, you better we'll visit see. the Visit we'll France see. booth. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sponsor me. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, cool. So, so South by Southwest has been going on for like 36 years, um, all in Austin, Texas, um, except for, you know, those couple years of pandemic. Um, and it's like grown massively. Um, like, what was it? Like 280,000 people come to this event. Um, and now it's expanding to another event. It is. Tell us about that, Colin. South by Southwest Sydney 2023. Sponsor me, send me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's really cool because um, I'm just interested to see how it's going to reach like th- that part of the world in that region and kind of also see what brands are going to really be like, hey, we want to put ourselves in front of this market and really reach this target demographic. So I'm, I'm really curious to see like what types of activations they're going to have what brands totally. are going to go, <clears throat> are they going to justify like being like, oh, that's so worth like sending half our team to Sydney for this event and stuff. So I'm just uh, curious to like, as the announcements roll out for the programming for that, like what types of programming we're going to see for interactive music and marketing and agency. And then also like what types of companies are going to be there and how that's going to kind of connect with like what we do here in Austin. Kind yeah. Of see it. And that's in October. In October. Correct? Yeah. yeah. Cool. I, I think it'll be really interesting because I feel like, Austin is kind of a unique city. I mean, it's grown a lot, obviously, as South by has grown. Um, but it's, you know, uh, over a million people. So, like, not like a, not like a, it's not like a big, big city. You know, like, it's a, it's kind of a funny. It's quirky. We have home slides. Yeah. We have Kirby Lane. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it'll be interesting to see how South by kind of meshes with a, with a city like Sydney, which is, like, in my mind, bigger and more. I don't know. I don't know any. Sydney's don't, amazing. Don't tell I me about Sydney. You need to tell me yeah, about it's Australia. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm just curious to see like how marketers and how they're going to reach that, and then also just see it from their standpoint how they're going to put their stamp on it and make it their own. Yeah. Like I feel like South by like here like Austin and has made it its own thing. Also like that touch of it, but I'm just curious to see how like Australia and Sydney is going to really make that like their thing and really market it for not just them but also how they want to present themselves to the rest of the world yeah yeah to kind of loop back around to like how the city experiences this festival um i talked with a few agency heads beforehand um folks who are like based in austin their agencies are based here um just kind of about like what you know, what does it mean for an ad agency that's based in Austin? Um, sometimes, at least me being down here, I'm like the only person from Adweek who's <laughs> based in Austin. And I, I always call myself the sole member, member of the Austin Bureau, which isn't as funny anymore now that like everybody's remote. Like, yeah, I know. Same. <laughs> um, but um, like sometimes it's like, okay, everything's happening in New York or L.A., 
And I'm just like down here. I get all these invites to things that are happening in New York. <laughs> yeah, cool. Thank you. I can't be there. Um, but it's really fun to have, you know, to like be the host mm -hmm. for once. And that's kind of what these um, folks said to me, too. Um, that it's, it's just exciting to like get to like host the industry. I think um, Maria from GSDNM was like, you know, this is like literally my favorite time of year. <laughs> this is like so fun to like host everybody. It's like crazy busy and like wild, but like so much fun. Um, we went to GSDNM's party last night. First of all, their backyard's a legit backyard. You could, yeah. that could be an event space. That's, that's the first time I've been to GSDNM's party, which is like kind of, you know, uh, I guess it's, it's well known as being a good time, but um, it was like a it was like a whole block party yeah, slash it was festival. A, it was a thing. It was like Coachella scaled down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but they had a pretty cool like Bloody Mary bar. They're like uh, they were. Um, I don't know exactly how they're involved. I don't want to mess up the terminology or the like wording here. But they were um, working with the. There's a bill at the Texas. Uh, legislature right now to get rid of the um, tax on period products because like I don't know if you knew that <laughs> there's a luxury tax on tampons so they did this whole Bloody Mary bar to kind of um, highlight that and like prom and um, I guess raise, awareness, a, yeah, yeah. raise awareness about this bill too mm -hmm. that like hopefully is, is moving through the Texas legislature um, and it, it was it was great. It was like you yeah, know so fun, tampons yeah. everywhere, and like then you're drinking the Bloody Mary, and it's like <laughs> all the, lovely. All the, all the fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, uh. that was cool. Um, Preacher, another uh, indie agency. So GSDNM is an Omnicom owned, um, pretty bigish agency in Austin. But then Preacher's a um, newer. I think they're like 10 years old, independent agency in town. And they had a party too, which was, I don't know my days anymore, but it happened recently. What did you have? <laughs> Where was it? It was the deeps. It, it was at their office on Riverside, um, which was, it was a blast. They, this, I've been to a couple of their other parties, not during South By, but they know how to throw a party. There was a cow there. A cow? Yeah. Named Jolene. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> she, she was really cute. <laughs> And and there was a Dolly Parton and the and the Jolene. Like, I was it was it was really something. I'm just picturing the cow in like a blonde wig with a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, basically just, that. Just performing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, what what parties have you been to? Where have I been? Well, I had the Australia House. We had our kickoff one. I'm mixing up days. I feel like it was Sunday night where we had one of the local bands from um, Australia come down, um, King Stingray. They were phenomenal. So that one was so much fun. Um, and apparently people stayed till 2.30 a.m. Wow. And they had to, like, actually usher people out. Like, I left at a godly hour at, like, 9.30 to go to Lush's party next door. But people were there till 2.30, and I'm just like, this is why we all can't wake up for our panels the next day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also was on the struggle bus one morning. It was, uh, it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm learning my lesson. This is how to do South by. And I'm learning what not what to do and what not to do when you're working South by. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. There, we also didn't talk about Terry's panel yet. We had two oh, other colleagues goodness. in town um, who have now left us to fend for ourselves here. <laughs> They're like, um, figure it out. <laughs> 
Um, so Shannon hosted a panel um, with uh, the CMOs from different Inspire brands. It was like KFC and I want to say, I don't remember, I don't want to say the wrong ones. They like email you back. They're so. like, um, it was not us. But it was fast food brands and talking about um, brand loyalty. And I'm, I had a booked schedule at the time, but it was, I heard it was incredible and like packed because, because obviously like we love fast food <laughs> and Shannon is just an incredible moderator. Uh. So, um, I heard it was a very, a, a huge hit. Uh. She looked incredible too. I did An icon her in herself. Yes. Let's just, <laughs> let's have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and then Terry Stanley, our other colleague who is based in LA came out she covers cannabis and alcohol all the vices she's on the like fun beat um but she did a panel about cannabis marketing it was focused on um there was some pun about a bite because it was focused on edibles um and i learned about a a a record-breaking huge weed brownie (laughs) it was like had like twenty thousand milligrams of THC in it. That is chaos. <laughs> that is chaos. chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was really cool. Was, like, that was a fascinating panel. I did get to that one. It was fascinating because it was like, you know, you're marketing in like a really unique landscape. The regulatory landscape is like all over the place. It's a patchwork. It's confusing. Um, you basically have like very few channels that you could actually work in. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really fascinating. Um, cool. But what were some of your key takeaways? Like, if someone's listening, they're like, "Cool, like, love that you guys were there." Like, what would you tell them is like the reason why? Because I feel like I talked to a lot of people who are like, "This is the only conference my company sends me to," or I don't know which conferences to go to in totally. my realm. So, like, what would you tell them would justify spending that enormous? Well, you shouldn't ask me about your financial decisions because I don't know. <laughs> but when I asked other people about this, <laughs> what they told me was that, like, um, like I spoke with um, Pooja Vora at um, Showtime, who kind of does their, their brand marketing, and she was kind of the mastermind behind this Yellow Jackets thing. Um, and I was like, okay, what, like, what's unique about South By? And she talked about, um, I guess she... she she was kind of talking about how it compares to things like San Diego Comic-Con and like um, Sundance and like different things where brands like hers will activate. And she was like, you know, South Bay is a really unique cross-section of people. Like it's not just industry folks. It's like also a bunch of like music and film people. So you have like a strong like, like cultural presence. Um, And it's a really, so it's, it's you get all the industry folks because they're here for the the brand and and ad track, and then you you also get to kind of speak to the audience of of Austin, Texas, um, which I mean I might be kind of biased, but I think it's pretty cool. And then um, all of these music and film folks who are like you know the creators of culture as much as if not more than brands are. Ooh, is that a hot take? <laughs> I don't. <know. laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like that is Somebody true. Like, I feel like you, like, the exposure you get, like, you meet so many people, you're, like, getting first thing. So instead of, like, sending out a blank email to say if I have indie film and I'm trying to get it in front of a Showtime or an HBO, like, I can come here, actually have a 
have a drink with them, talk to them, really get to know, like, who's who and whatever. And if, or if I'm an up and coming musician, like, I can come here and meet and kind of talk to other musicians who are going through the same thing I'm going through or whatever industry. So I feel like it's a good, like, first impression, good first step to kind of meet the people who you email or just want to, like, kind of build that connection and your network in itself, also. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, like, as a brand that's coming, it's like, okay, there's a really unique audience here. Um, And then, if you're like an agency, I spoke with um, Mickey Ogando, who's the um, CEO of Bakery, which is another indie Austin agency. Um, and he was telling me how like, you know, there was one year he's at South by like he, his his hack is to like not plan too much and like kind of just like go with the flow and like, <laughs> you know. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> um, but he said that he just, like, ended up in a conversation with somebody at Nike. And then, like, five years later, he's working with Nike. And so, like, it's, like, these things that kind of, you know, so I guess that's how networking works. And, like, you know, ideally, that's how it works. And there's so <laughs> many different people here um, and so many different ways of connecting, you know, whether it's, like, just, like, at the bar at the Four Seasons or, like, at the White Horse, <laughs> or like, which is a honky tonk on the east side, which you should go to if you haven't yet. You should. <laughs> you should. Um, yeah, or like, you know, at a brand activation or a panel, like. We're getting free merch. Where you're <laughs> like, hey, you want a t shirt? And you're like, no. And then you're like, they're like, come over here. Then you, next thing you know, you're like, found a new business partner or found somebody, <laughs> like, something like that. Like, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Any other tips you have for people? I don't know. If you come, definitely go down South Congress. South Congress has changed a lot, but oh like, my God, yeah. you got to go to Home Slice. <laughs> like, you got to go to Home Slice. That's the agenda I'm pushing. But no, I feel like South by is just one of those conferences that's unique and different from any that I've been to, like industry wise, whether you're in film, music, or creative. I feel like it's one, whether you're industry or a creator, like it's one that you want to put on your list because you really do meet not just people nationally and like locally and regionally, but like, internationally like you'll meet so many more people like all under one roof and it's such good exposure and such good networking and it's easy networking like i feel like it's a lot of times at those conferences like they have the mixers and it's awkward versus like a tough by everybody's so chill and relaxed it's <laughs> like you can easily spark up a conversation with anybody yeah yeah for sure uh you're listening to yeah that's probably an ad the show that takes a look at film technology pop culture and sustainability because in the end, everything is an ad. I am Katherine Lundstrom, sustainability editor at Adweek. Um, you may notice that I am not the usual host of, yeah, that's probably an ad. Um, but we're here at South by Southwest, and we're chatting with Duncan Mizell, executive director of Clean Creatives. Welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're going to have kind of a, just an informal chat about climate and the ad industry um, and what Duncan's work is. Um, and yeah, that's, that's going to pretty much be it. So Duncan, tell us about Clean Creatives. What is it? Clean Creatives is a campaign to bring together uh, leaders in the advertising and public relations industry from agencies, from clients, uh, from all over the world to end the ad industry's work with fossil fuel clients, uh, which includes companies that produce, transport, burn fossil fuels, um, power companies that get more than 50% of their energy from fossil fuels, and the front groups and trade associations that represent those companies. Cool. 
So how did this come about? Can you tell us your Clean Creatives origin story, please? Well, it all begins here in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Uh, yes, because you're from I grew Austin, up. Texas. Yes, home sweet home. <laughs> and during the 2020 election, uh, I, you know, my background is in working with nonprofit climate campaigns. Uh, and I was working with my colleague, Jamie Henn, and we were trying to, we kept seeing ads for the American Petroleum Institute as part of the 2020 election. And who, what is the American Petroleum Institute? The American Petroleum Institute is the largest and oldest lobbying organization that works on behalf of oil and gas companies. Uh, they've been around since the 20s, um, and they are an extraordinarily powerful, rich, and influential uh, trade association, basically. Cool. And there were a bunch of ads being run by them, and, and we thought it would be fun to figure out who made those ads and... Uh, just, you know, make them feel bad about themselves. Like, just a very straightforward, <laughs> classic NGO campaign. Um, but what we realized was the agency that was making them at the time was based here in Austin, Texas, where I live, where I grew up. And it just sort of turned on a light bulb that if you're a young, creative person in Austin, Texas, uh, it's probably the case that your values are not particularly well aligned with, say, Exxon, an organization that's been denying climate change uh, since 1970s. And... Shortly after that, uh, Jamie, my colleague, came across an ad from Philip Morris, the tobacco company, about the, quote, smoke-free future. And the ad was so bad, I thought someone was trying to make fun of Philip Morris. Like, it was just extremely bad copywriting. It was stock footage. It was, it was awful, and it wasn't persuading anybody. And knowing enough about the history of that and the way that creative industry has very purposefully tried to limit its work with tobacco companies, you kind of put two and two together. It's like, okay, uh, it's probably the case that people don't want to do this work for fossil fuel companies if it's happening in places like Austin or New York or L.A. or any of these big progressive cities. And if those smart creative people stop working for this industry, um, they'll end up like the tobacco companies. They'll have less ability to influence the public and be able to push their agenda, which is contributing to the climate emergency. Cool. So then how did you get from there to here? Um, so we do a lot of original research um, where we try to take together publicly available information about what, com what agencies are working with what fossil fuel clients. Uh, we make that available. Um, we reach out to news reporters uh, <laughs> and ask to be on their podcasts uh, so that we can talk about our work. And, um, you know, we're trying to connect with individual creatives. And I would say that most of our growth has come from people who step forward and say, I think I have a concern about this. And I think there are other people like me who have a concern about this. How can we make a difference where I work? And so a lot of what Clean Creatives is doing is providing services to people who are in the industry, who want to see change, and just collaborating with them on the best way to bring this agenda forward uh, to their agency leaders, to uh, their holding companies, to regulators, to wherever they think it needs to be sort of brought uh, to move the conversation forward about ending this work with fossil fuel companies. So that's a lot of how we've grown. It's like we do some research, we put it out there, make it available to people. Um, people in the industry are acting on that research and responding to it. Uh, and it's been mostly actually really positive. Yeah, cool. So yeah, you had that kind of hypothesis that um, young talent probably didn't really, wasn't that excited about doing ads for the oil companies, these big, huge accounts that their <laughs> employers have. What kind of, what have you heard from these these folks who are like in agencies? Like what, how has that rung true? Like when you talk to folks about, um, about kind of the work that their agencies are doing. How, what have you heard from them specifically? Well, it's, it's interesting. It's a mix of things, uh, as with all, it's a big diverse industry. Right. Um, so 
you know, the first step is always kind of establishing the baseline of what's out there, what's the information. Uh, and there's not a lot of transparency around this. So sometimes right. we find that we're discovering pieces of information about work and, and we'll read, someone will be like, I didn't even know my company did this. Yeah. Um, sometimes you reach up to very high up in the agency and they're like, I don't know my company did this. So um, I think there's some gratitude just for the transparency and like, okay, this is a conversation we have now. Um, there's some hesitation, like it's very hard to run an agency. I'm very sympathetic to that. Yeah. Um, and I think people want to support their, the growth of the companies they work at. Um, so what we've done is we've tried to assemble data that does show, make the case sort of on behalf of young creators in particular, um, where it's not always easy if you're early in your career to speak up about this, um, to, you know, make connections with other people that can help them amplify their message, uh, provide data that's really clear, um, and, you know, I, I think young people, it's not hard to sort of make the case here. You know, if you're a young person entering the industry now, you're 22, 23, there's a good chance that you and your friends or people you know were marching in the global climate strikes in 2019, which was the biggest day of climate mobilization in world history, one of the biggest days of political activity ever. Uh, so I think the, the reality for this is that it's just very present and it may not be the thing that comes up in every single conversation, but you know, if you're trying to hire someone who's really good at their job and there's that moment of hesitation, is that really, you know, but they have two offers on the table and they're sort of hesitating about you if there's a second thought. It, it plays out in subtle ways, I would say. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess thinking about kind of like, there, there are these decision makers that are like, okay, you know, as you said, it's hard to run an agency and they're thinking about what the hell are they going to do if they give up this like really um, lucrative account what, what kind of have you heard from agency heads who are trying to grapple with these decisions? Like when you talk to them and you're like, hey, like this is what we're trying to do, this is why. What are kind of the different responses from the agency leaders, these decision makers? I think everybody who runs an agency that has a fossil fuel client recognizes it as a reputational risk. And they recognize it as reputational risk. I can say that with confidence because it's very hard to find the information about the work they're doing. It's right. not particularly public. Um, and I think that's what you do when you aren't wildly excited to talk about that. So that's a reality that I think is very evident. Um, and I think the thing that we're trying to raise is that there's three big areas of risk here. One is talent, which we've talked about. You know, someone very early on running this project said, I would rather lose my top three clients than my top three creatives. Um, and I think that was very compelling to me. That's um, interesting, yeah. Uh, another was um, regulatory risk. Um, so there are a growing number of regulators in Europe, uh, in South Africa, in North America, who are taking action on this and sort of identifying greenwashing by fossil fuel companies as a area that's important to have action on, whether it's, you know, limiting the kinds of claims they can make or just banning it entirely. Um, and those actions tend to be attached to lawsuits or investigations where it may be that the agency itself isn't the target of that. Um, but, you know, your emails might end up in the hands of some public officials and you're going to have to deal with, you know, having a lawyer, like look through your stuff. And that is, uh, again, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, it's, ex it's expensive. Um, and then the last is I would just say that there's um, kind of a broad, I don't know, conflict of interest isn't quite the right question, but sort of a conflict of values and agenda. Um, that if you're a company that does invest in climate solutions and you want to be able to advertise that to the public, 
it is not in your interest to have large polluters making ads that look and feel like your message. One of two things is happening here. Either consumers are confused and they can't identify the differences between these two things. And it's like, well, I don't know, why not just, you know, why not buy from Shell? It's as good as anything else. Or cynicism, you're poisoning the well. Um, someone who is a thoughtful consumer can look at this and say, well, I mean, if look, if BP can say that they're green and they invest, what, $15 billion a year in fossil fuels, why should I believe anybody? Like everybody's lying about this. And right. I think that's not in the interests of the brands that are gonna grow. It's not in the interest of the brands that your team is probably most excited to work on. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that's a tough way to run a business that wants to focus on those clients if you also are working against their interests actively. Yeah. So I think there's those issues of alignment and the fut- and risk are things that we try to raise. And I think it's beginning to sink in because, you know, fossil fuel companies have had a banner year. They've engaged in a lot of a lot of, I would say, price gouging, and they've made a lot of money, uh, which is mostly not going into renewable energy. But this is not an industry with a long-term future. You know, if you look 10 years ago, um, you know, coal companies look big and rich and powerful, and they are going bankrupt now. And I think you can begin to look at the oil majors as being on not exactly the same trajectory. It's a different energy source, but a similar trajectory. There's going to be a period in the very near future where they are not able to grow because demand for their product is shrinking. And you know what cuts get cut first out of that budget? It's going to be your advertising and PR spend. And so I I think there's a transition risk um, that needs to be taken into account. And you need to look to the future and figure out how are we getting out of this gracefully? How are we doing it with intention? How are we doing it it in a way that best supports the growth of our team, uh, their well-being, uh, and things like that? Yeah. You and um, other folks have also compared this fight to kind of and and this transition to what happened with tobacco um, companies in like I don't know the 90s ish. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of talk about that comparison a little bit and like I guess what's similar and helpful about that comparison and maybe what's like a little bit different? Well, I think the the most useful thing to take from the example of tobacco is that limiting advertisement for dangerous companies is a powerful investment in public health. Um, So in the early 70s, the United States banned tobacco advertisements on radio and television. And almost immediately and permanently, um, rates of smoking, lung disease, etc. declined. And it was a big contributor to, you know, not just people starting to smoke less, like you see fewer ads, okay, maybe I'm not going to smoke, but without the communication industry support behind this very dangerous industry, it's much harder for them to stop the political action, the uh, governmental action, the regulatory changes that were needed to address a public health crisis. So, you know, you can see action from the government on all sorts of fronts to enable, can't smoke on airplanes anymore, thank God. Like, (laughs) can't smoke in restaurants in as many places. That sort of stuff is only possible when the product and the companies aren't ubiquitous and aren't pushing their message about how good they are everywhere. So I think in this analogy now, if you want to have a climate agenda, if you want your company to be climate positive, to be responding to the climate emergency, this is climate action. Banning advertisements, saying I'm not working with this company, that is climate action. So uh-huh. that's the first analogy I'd like to make. And, yeah. and then I think it's just a question of imagination. Like, you know, the, the uh, tobacco was one of the biggest advertisers on the planet. They still are in many places. And just the fact that you can run a business with that intention and say, all right, this is the right thing to do, and doing the right thing is the way that we grow our company and the way that we're satisfied with that's going to lead to our long-term health. 
uh, and that is possible. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it is a short-term transition, but it's a meaningful contribution to the well-being of our company and our employees, and that's worth doing. Yeah. And there are, like, like that's a, on a lot of ad agencies' kind of, like, list of industries that they don't work with. Like, right. uh, there are a lot of ad agencies that are like, okay, we have a, a short list of things that we absolutely won't touch, like some are guns, tobacco, that kind of thing. Um, and I guess... Every, every company has a line. Everybody, yeah. every day, makes decisions about things they are going to pitch for and not going to pitch for. We just think that this is the right criteria to add to that process, right. that we're not going to work with big polluters. And everybody has a line. It's good to have a line. <laughs> and, I, you know, we, we also, you know, one of the questions that people have is, like, isn't a slippery slope? What if we don't do this? Then we'll, what about that? What about that? You know, there's all sorts of things that are potentially have a negative impact on the world. And, like, that may or may not be a fair question, but... There's also a slippery slope if you don't have a standard. If you are willing to say it is okay for us to work with the people that are destroying the future habitability of the planet, what won't you do? That's right. a slippery slope just as much, and yeah. I think a much more dangerous one. So, you know, everybody makes decisions about who they, who they want to work with and who they don't on lots of different criteria. Um, I think there just needs to be more visibility and awareness of this criteria because it's very important for the health of the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing that I feel like a lot of agencies respond, the, kind of, I guess, the narrative that's being used to respond to a lot of what, I mean, really just what, what you've been doing <laughs> and the noise you've been making in the industry is, you know, like they've been working with these clients for a long time. They know them well. They're, and these clients are facing like a the, the most difficult issue that they've ever faced right and so they're like we're not going to abandon our our long-term clients and at this moment when they really need help what's kind of your response to an argument like that we are still every year since my in my lifetime with a small blip for the pandemic basically um, global carbon pollution has increased every single time and it's just not possible to sustain life on the planet as we know it if we continue on that path. It's just too big. And it's difficult to leave long-term relationships, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, there's a mindset that we can help these companies transition. But that's been the message for decades now. They've been saying they're ready to change for a long time. You can read op-eds from BP's ad staff in you know, 2006 saying, we're, 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 we thought we were ready to do this, and they're not. And they're just still not doing it. You know, There's no evidence that these relationships that ad agencies have developed with fossil fuel companies have done anything to reduce carbon pollution. There's no evidence. If you embarked in any other strategy, a creative strategy that had that little evidence behind it, you would lose your job. Right. Um, it's not backed up by the facts. And I think, um, you know, when we're talking about climate change, we're no longer talking about the future. We're talking about now. And we're talking about what decisions you're making. And you're either contributing to a problem that is affecting millions of people's lives or you're contributing to the solution for it. And I, I think it's we're just at the time where people need to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess thinking about, I guess, well, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. What have, what have you been up to since this? Clean Creatives <laughs> launched in 2020. We're kind of talking about like high level what, how this, you know, 
the meaning of this um, campaign and kind of the impacts that it's had and how people have responded. But like, what have you actually been doing since 2020, since um, you launched? Uh, and what did you do here at South by Southwest? Well, in my, I was so pleased to do something in Austin because uh, yeah. we've just been waiting. We launched in the middle of the pandemic, and this is the first time we've kind of been able to bring people together in Austin, a city I love. Um, and we worked with Ben and Jerry's. Uh, they were extremely supportive of us, uh, and they gave us an ice cream truck. And we know that this is a busy place. Uh, we're here in the middle of a trade hall where there's a million different things to look at and talk about. Uh, and we thought the best way to start a conversation with someone was to offer them free ice cream, including non-dairy options, um, speaking as the vegan in the room. Um, <laughs> and so we, we called our truck Carbon and Cream. Um, we had four flavors that we were offering. We offered um, Shell's Half-Baked Net Zero Claims, Chevron's Climate Catastrophe Crunch, uh, Exxon Criminal Mint Deceit, and Aramco, wow, that's dark, chocolate. And... <laughs> Our goal was to educate people at South by Southwest, who are some of the most creative people in the world, about the risks of working with these major polluters. And, you know, our, our descriptions, you know, sort of dug into the facts behind this, like Shell is decreasing their, decreasing their investments in renewable energy this year. Um, Chevron is the, you know, company that's responsible for more carbon pollution than any other in America since 1960, so on and so forth. We're trying to basically begin a conversation with education. Uh, but very tasty education. Yeah. Uh, so that was our goal here. And that was kind of the first time we've done this broad outreach to just a group of people at an event like this. Like, And that was exciting to do it with a partner like Ben and Jerry's, who are lovely people um, and very flexible and very kind to us. So shout out to them. Uh, we've also done, um, you know, hosted events at uh, Climate Week in New York, uh, we have done a, a lot of research uh, every year now. We've been releasing something called the F List. Um, shout out to Joe Cole, our creative strategist, for that excellent name. And the F List is just a list of all the known agencies that work with fossil fuel companies and the relationships they have. Um, so that's an educational effort that we try to do just to add a level of transparency to this conversation. Uh, we went to Cannes last year. We brought a group of young creatives to uh, just sort of set them loose on the city of Cannes and said, go make some TikTok videos, start some conversations. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot more we've done, but it's escaping me right now. But <laughs> That's end, a lot already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the end, the end point of this conversation, end point of it is that uh, there's over 500 agencies that have now taken the pledge to not work with fossil fuel clients. Wow. Um, and I'm really grateful to all of them. Um, I think there's probably like 1,700, 1,800 individuals that have signed the pledge. Um, there's really strong teams growing inside a bunch of agencies that are really focusing on this. Um, and it's just been a beautiful community. And I feel like we're dovetailing with a lot of other conversations that people are having. Yeah. I think part of the reason that we've been growing is that when I first start talking to people about this in 2020 and 2021, as soon as you mention it, it's just like, it's like it's been on the tip of their tongues. They're like, yes, this is what I've wanted to talk about. And I'm just really grateful to all, well, one, I'm grateful to the Clean Creatives team, which is growing and is full of just fantastic, lovely people. Uh, and also uh, just everybody in the industry who's had very helpful and open dialogue, even when they're telling me I'm wrong. Like, I think we have been able to approach this conversation with a level of respect um, and openness that I, I think is uh, really important. Yeah, yeah, cool. That kind of, I, I guess you mentioned kind of how this is, Hap there's, there are conversations happening all around the industry about like what what is the industry's role in climate and like what I, I feel like there are different levels of like 
you know, agencies are grappling with a lot of different things. Brands are trying to figure out, like, how to talk about climate but not be greenwashers and, you know, reach people who are activists and who care. But, um, you know, balancing a lot of different priorities. Thinking about kind of what else is out there in the industry, I guess, how, how is Clean Creatives engaging with the other groups? I mean, there are other, there's like AdNet Zero, who's, um, you know, describes itself, comes out of the UK originally. Um, it's describes itself as the advertising's, the advertising industry's response to climate change. Um, it's a, got a bunch of agency um, signatories on, and supporters. Um, there's, you know, there are, there are movements in production, like Green the Bid um, and Ad Green in the UK. There are, you know, there, there's action, right? Um, kind of how, how are you engaging with those different groups? You know, I, I've spoken with people at all those organizations at one point or another. Um, they have all been quite friendly, even when we haven't agreed. And I would say our role vis-a-vis -vis them is all of that is good. You know, it is objectively good to reduce the carbon footprint of production and your tech stack, and these are all worthwhile things. But it's not looking at the main thing that the ad industry produces, which is influence. Uh, and influence is uh, the most important product of these agencies, and it can't be ignored as part of the sustainability conversation. The ad industry doesn't just produce hotel reservations and flights. The ad industry produces advertisements. Right. And the thing that those advertisements do is they influence the public to make a decision. And uh, we think that, you know, again, sustainability is a lot of things. It's fast fashion. It's plastic. It's, uh, you know, any number of issues. But the way that we encourage people to produce, to look at this is what's the biggest part of the problem? The biggest part of the problem is the energy industry. It's responsible for about three quarters of global emissions. And if we can reduce the influence of these people who are doing the most to obstruct change, who are doing the most to greenwash, everything else becomes a lot easier. It actually becomes easier to book green flights because we're having better investment in renewable fuels. It becomes easier to uh, address fast fashion and agriculture and meets impact on the planet because they're producing fewer petrochemicals that go into your, you know, everything. So our thinking is that let's look at the big rocks first. The big rock is your influence and your influence of the biggest polluters. Once you've done that, it's easier to solve everything else. Um, and so, you know, I think hopefully we are intersecting with those conversations in a way that makes them stronger. Um, I would love to see all those groups continue to succeed uh, and that we just help push together further uh, because we are in a very timely emergency. And I, I think the reason that the dialogues have been respectful and engaged in the way it has is because everyone recognizes that. Uh, and we would just like to be the force that, you know, helps move it along further. Yeah. You did do a little stunt um, that focused on AdNet Zero recently. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and what exactly is the difference, I guess, between the, like, um, approach that Clean Creatives is taking and the approach that AdNet Zero is? Yeah, so AdNet Zero um, is a now global, um, it moved to the U.S., uh, network of, of basically every big network right. uh, holding company is part of AdNet Zero. Um, and it's supposed to be a framework to deal with the immediate carbon footprint of the ad industry. Again, flights, production, 
um, kind of cleaning our, they, they, they describe it as, you know, dealing with our, cleaning up our own house first. Right. Um, and again, all those things are extremely worthwhile. Right. But that doesn't, in my mind, really count as a response to the climate emergency. I don't think it's fulfilling the top level mission that they've given themselves. Um, I think a response to the climate emergency is about aligning all of your values and practices to solve a very pressing, large problem. So um, AdNet Zero existed for a few years, um, but through some means or another, decided not to reserve um, the at AdNet Zero on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Um, and someone on our team, um, Tomea Gregory, who we worked with in Cannes, um, recognized this, and we reserved the handles. And so when AdNet Zero launched in the U.S., um, and people were mentioning AdNet Zero on the internet. Um, we took those handles and we launched them with a message about um, at the many of the sponsors of AdNet Zero work with a number of fossil fuel polluters, including the biggest in the world. And so we use those platforms on that day to explain what we think should be a priority for AdNet Zero, which is solving their work with major polluters. And um, I hope we hope to give them back the, the <laughs> handles. Like we would like to give them. I mean. I assume there was a reason they didn't reserve those handles. I'm not going to speculate. Um, so we will give our handles, I would say, which are at adnet zero to them um, once they have a plan uh, for how they're going to eliminate fossil fuel clients in their agency's mix. They don't have to do it tomorrow. They don't have to, it doesn't have to be right now, but we do think it's appropriate for an industry association with the mandate of adnet zero to have a plan for that. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Cool. So what's next for Clean Creatives? And I guess, do you have any like goals for the year? Yeah, um, we really want to expand the dialogue with brands. Um, so we were very happy that Seventh Generation issued a new sustainability report last year that focused on what they called the fingerprint of, right. their, of their company, um, which is their relationships with not just agencies, but banks and consultants and you know, accounting companies and sort of seeing how they can use their influence in those spheres to move their partners towards aligning with seven generations goal of, you know, protecting the planet. Um, so that was great. We got to help them with their report. They were very, shout out to Kate Ogden, thank you, um, who did a great job of kind of just opening that conversation. And I think we want to take that framework and bring it to more brands. We obviously had talks with our friends at Ben and Jerry's. Um, and then, you know, I think that What's interesting about this conversation now is that anytime you see advertising leaders bringing up sustainability and climate change, this question is getting asked. And so I think, I hope um, that this is the year where um, we stop talking about this as a future policy and start thinking of it as something of how we are going to implement. Um, I think it's very, very difficult to ignore and um, we're going to do our best to help it not be ignored. Uh, but I think our main goal, connect with more brands, go deeper into these conversations with agencies, and uh, really make sure that we're giving a voice to the people, in young people in particular, that they feel heard, that they feel seen, uh, and make sure that their uh, contributions to this conversation are being recognized. Very cool. I think that's pretty much our time. Um, thanks so much for listening. Duncan, thank you so much uh, for being here. Thank you. Um, Again, I'm not the real host of this podcast, so thanks for bearing with me. <laughs> I think you're a real host. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. Get in touch with Duncan. Send me an email if you have any questions about this stuff. I'm Catherine.Lundstrom at adweek.com. Would love to chat. Um, and I'm at cleancreatives.org. Yeah, cool. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>